I invite you to open your Bibles with me one more time to Peter's first letter and look at chapter 5. We want to start by looking at the last three verses of the letter, verses 12, 13, and 14 this morning. We've been in 1 Peter together since Back to School Sunday, August 29th. Remember Back to School Sunday? Me neither. That was a long time ago. This is the 22nd message in our series studying the letter that Peter wrote to followers of Christ in churches scattered throughout Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Followers of Christ who were suffering because they were following Christ and who didn't fit in because they were foreigners and exiles, spiritually and probably also literally. And for 21 Sundays, we have slowed down and carefully read and studied what Peter had to say to his beloved readers. What Peter had to say to get them through their hard days. And what Peter had to say to direct them in how to live as foreigners and exiles in an increasingly hostile world. So today I want to do something a little different. We've actually done this before over the years. I want to read the entire letter to you this morning. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 5, 14. It doesn't take that long to read. We've gone through it slowly now for 21 Sundays, so we should probably have a good grasp on what it means. And we should probably remember a lot of what we learned along the way, including how God spoke to us each individually each Sunday at each step of the way. We've already, so to speak, gone through and turned on all the lights, like, right? Sometimes you go in a place. I was in a hotel room this week in Des Moines. Thank you for praying for me. Had a good trip. Wonderful to go. Wonderful to be back. If you go into the hotel room, they're all kind of laid out about the same way, right? But if you don't turn on the lights first, you stumble around, right? But if you turn on the lights and you walk around the room, you can see everything. You're not going to hit anything, right? So we've gone through the house of First Peter, and we've turned on all the lights. Now let's go through it again, seeing what we're seeing. See, we're not just feeling our way through now. We see it in the light of day. I thought I'd do this today because of how Peter closes his letter. Look with me first at how Peter signs off in chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Look at verse 12. With the help of Silas whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. You remember Silas? The Apostle Paul's singing partner in the jail at Philippi? Silas apparently helped Peter to either write this letter like a secretary, like he dictated it to Peter and then Peter wrote it down, or perhaps as a carrier or courier of this letter to the believers in Asia Minor, which I think is a little more likely. Perhaps he did both of those. And do you see how Peter feels about his letter? Here he says why he wrote it in the first place. I have written to you briefly. He could have said very much more. He's just very brief. Encouraging you and testifying that this... Everything he has said in 1 Peter is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. So that's the title for our message today. This is the true grace of God. What Peter has written here is truly from God, and it is truly the grace of God. 
In this letter, Peter has told them how much God loves them and what God has done for them in Jesus Christ and what God is going to do when Jesus Christ is revealed. The true grace of God. Undeserved, unmerited, unearned blessing. Grace. Last week in verse 10, Peter called the Lord the God of all grace. And now he says that the message of his letter has been the true grace of that God of all grace. And then he says these words, stand fast in it. Stand fast in it. That sums up everything that Peter has said to this beloved family of foreigners. Everything they should do with their lives because of the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. And then he sends greetings to them. Greetings are very important to Christians. One of the reasons why we always greet the folks in the parking lot and we ask them to greet us back is because the New Testament is full of greetings. The reason why we take time in the middle of the service to greet one another is not so that everybody gets a little stretch break, right? That's an added bonus, right? But it's because Christians fellowship. Christians are a family. And it is so important to greet one another. So here's what he says, verse 13. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Now we're not 100% sure of who that is, she who is in Babylon. But most scholars think that Peter is talking about the church, she, in Rome, Babylon. He's using code words, perhaps because of possible persecution, but also because I think he's reminding them that they are foreigners and exiles together. That idea runs through 1 Peter. He's not talking about literal Babylon. Babylon at that point was kind of in ruins. There wasn't any real city of Babylon, so to speak of. But what Babylon stands for, the place of exile, where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were carted off to live as foreigners among pagans. That's what Babylon stands for. We'll see that even more real soon when we get into the prophecy of Jeremiah. Peter says, she, the church, who's in Babylon, probably Rome or the entire Roman world, chosen together with you, chosen Remember that they're elect exiles, chosen, beloved, accepted exiles. She sends you her greetings, and so does Peter's spiritual son, John Mark. There are amazing parallels between the opening of this letter and the closing. I'm sure, like we said, you don't remember back to school Sunday very well when we studied chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. But I said then that Peter reminds them who they are, where they are, and whose they are. Bonnie does remember. She's nodding. Yeah. Who they are, where they are, and whose they are. And he's doing the same thing as he closes out his letter. Who are they? They're chosen. They're family. Look at verse 14. Greet one another with a kiss of love. That's a family greeting. And where are they? They may not be at home yet. They're almost home, but they're not home yet. But where they are is also whose they are. They are, verse 14, in Christ. They are safe in Christ. 
They may be like Afghan or Ukrainian refugees adrift in the world, and yet they are safe in Christ. Verse 14, peace to all of you who are in Christ. That's what we have. If we're in Christ, we have peace. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Amen? So let's pretend that we just got this letter. Okay? We're living in Asia Minor. Okay? We're in Bithynia. Okay? Welcome to Bithynia, folks. The church is gathered. Now remember, things are tough. There's persecution in the air. The culture around us is hostile. Things are hard. And Silas, uh, the faithful brother Silas, has shown up at our little church where we're feeling the alienation of being different from the hostile culture around us, the pagans around us, our neighbors. And he's brought us a letter from the Apostle Peter just for us and all the other Christians in our area. It's a brief letter, just five short chapters. And with it, Peter is trying to encourage us and testify us that this, to us that this is the true grace of God. Let me read it now to you. Some of you will want to follow along in your Bibles, but many of you might want to close your Bibles and maybe even close your eyes. And listen, some of you will catch up then on that hour of sleep you lost if we do that. But just think about it. In Bithynia, they didn't all have copies of the letter at first. They didn't all get a, an email on their phones during church with the letter in it. Now Silas showed up and he had the one copy of the letter and he read it to them. Now later they would copy it down and they would copy it down and they would copy it down so that we have copies in our Bibles today. But when Silas showed up, he would read them the letter and they would close their eyes and they would say, this is the word of God. This is the true grace of God. And they would think about how it applies to their life as they listened to it. It didn't come in little sound bites, little memes, little posts. It came as a letter. So listen to the whole thing. Ready? This is the true grace of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith 
of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Now, you have purified yourselves. By obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like 
newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now you who believe, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people... But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Say it with me. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, say it with me, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Submit yourselves. For the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. 
For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have been returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words. By the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing may hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so you may inherit a blessing. For 
Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but was made alive by the Spirit through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you, you've spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it.
the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Dear friends, Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness, of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, 
you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast under it. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ.